Hello. Four failed rainy seasons in the Horn of Africa are tearing families apart. We hear one veteran humanitarian's heartbreaking testimony from a displacement camp in Somalia. Climate shocks are also playing their part in undermining vital investment in developing countries. That's according to trade agency UNCTAD. And we'll also hear that food prices are going to be increasingly difficult to stomach this year, as millions of people in Sri Lanka are already finding out. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. First, the news. One of the key indicators of the health of the global economy is just how confident countries are to invest in other countries. And it has changed dramatically for the worse, not least because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That's the message on Thursday from the head of the UN Trade and Development Agency, UNCTAD. Secretary-General Rebecca Greenspan said that the war in Ukraine, along with the Covid pandemic and the climate crisis, have contributed to rapidly increasing investor uncertainty in the first three months of the year. Ongoing conflict threatens to reverse the recovery of foreign direct investment in 2021, which at nearly $1.6 trillion was back to pre-pandemic levels. Support is also down for investment in the long-term, so-called greenfield projects, which promote manufacturing in the countries where they're based, the UNCTAD chief explained at the launch of the agency's World Investment Report. Preliminary data for the first quarter of this year shows that greenfield project numbers are already down 21% and international project finance deals are down by 4%. Ms Greenspan cautioned that although foreign investment had recovered last year, most of it was from mergers and acquisitions involving international firms, which also retained their earnings rather than invest in projects in developing countries. Sri Lanka's worst economic crisis in its history has left 5.7 million people needing immediate life-saving assistance. And to help the most vulnerable, the UN on Thursday launched a $47 million appeal for funds. If nothing is done now, many families will be unable to meet their basic food needs, said UN resident coordinator in Sri Lanka, Hannah Singer-Hamdi. The development comes after Sri Lanka defaulted on its international debt repayments for the first time since it gained independence in 1948, mainly because of a disastrous drop in foreign tourism caused by the COVID pandemic and rising energy prices. Food price inflation reached more than 57% last month and Sri Lankans have faced shortages in key food items, as well as fuel for cooking, cars and work. The UN-led appeal followed a request from the government in Colombo for international assistance to meet the country's most urgent needs. These include healthcare and essential medicines, food and emergency nutrition, safe drinking water and livelihood support. The primary aim of the Humanitarian Needs and Priorities Plan is to support 1.7 million of the most at-risk men, women and children in Sri Lanka until September. Countries are expected to spend a staggering $1.8 trillion importing food they need this year. That would be a new world record, but worryingly, it's going to buy less food, not more. That's according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, which on Thursday suggested that for some countries, the situation potentially heralded an end of their resilience to higher prices. Higher fixed costs for farmers of fertiliser and fuel are expected to be responsible for this year's bigger-than-ever global food import bill, along with climate shocks and increased market uncertainty stemming from the war in Ukraine, said FAO economist Ipali Galketi Arachilaj, 
lead author of the agency's Food Outlook report. Animal fats and vegetable oils will be the single biggest contributor to higher import bills this year, according to the report, which notes that developing countries are already reducing imports of cereals, oilseeds and meat, reflecting their incapacity to cover the price increases. The headlines there and now to this week's interview, which comes to us from the Horn of Africa, where drought, conflict and displacement have caused families to lose their land, then their livestock and finally their children. Already in Somalia, there are more acutely malnourished children today than there were during the famine in 2011. Let's hear now from Rania Dagash. She's the UN Children Fund's Deputy Director for Eastern and Southern Africa. What we're seeing is a fourth consecutive below average rainfall season. It's the longest drought in the history of the Horn of Africa that we have recorded. And it's aggravated by the current water crisis and the ongoing drought in five countries. 20 million people in Djibouti, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Kenya and Somalia are affected, half of which are children. So that is a shocking figure. And one other statistic, without wishing to overload uh, our listeners, you found that even more children, hundreds of thousands of children, are more vulnerable now to severe acute malnutrition than they were in the famine in 2011. Can you just put some bones on that figure, please? So we did a comparison, Daniel. We're seeing a sharp increase in the number of children who are severely malnourished. And what we have today is 386,000 children in Somalia who are in desperate need of treatment for life-threatening severe acute malnutrition. When we compared it to 2011, which was a famine year in Somalia, we saw 340,000 children who required the same treatment at this time. So just comparing the two, and even though we are not at a declaration of famine in Somalia yet, we are edging towards that very quickly if we don't act today. Well, it might as well be famine, to be honest, because it's really on everybody's lips. And I think I'm right in saying that a quarter of a million people, mainly children, died back in 2011 too. So it's obviously really, really critical that we act now. So your appeal to the international community is to act, but act in what way? To, to respond to the emergency and help with resilience? We're asking the international community for two things. We're asking them to scale up resources, new resources, to allow us to expand our life-saving responses. We want to increase our water support. We want to increase our food support, our malnutrition treatment in these stabilization centers. We want to put schools back in with school feeding to reach children who are affected and displaced. And we want to be able to extend health services because many of those children come in malnourished and are compounded by measles and cholera. So we would like life-saving activities to happen today. But underpinning this, we would like the international community to also give us money for resilience. We want to be able to dig wells that stabilize communities in future droughts because we know the droughts will keep coming. The climate catastrophe isn't stopping today, even with the best of responses. So our appeal is to allow us to do some of the medium, longer term infrastructure support and the system strengthening that can sustain and build the resilience of these communities, while at the same time allowing us to save lives. Thank you for that. 
can you maybe just illustrate the scale of need? Have you visited displaced communities? Have you seen these families who just need that medical help, that urgent medical help for their children who are wasting away? I was in Somalia last week and I spent quite a lot of time actually on a border town called Dolo, which is between Somalia and Ethiopia. You could see the bridge crossing between the two countries. And what we saw there was large numbers of those displaced from the 2010-2011 famine still in camps because there is nothing to go back to where they came from. They lost their livestock back then, they lost their agriculture, and they don't have the ability to rebuild. We also saw tens of thousands of new displacements happening in the same town and new settlements cropping up all over that need water, that need shelter, that need food, that need health treatment, and they need stabilization of their babies to treat these children who came anything from 300 to 100 kilometers walking. You know, honestly, I've been doing this for about 22 years and I've worked many droughts in this region and I've never broken down and cried on site or with in a displacement camp. And I broke down every single visit. I saw children under six months that their mothers were carrying that were definitely not going to make it. They had walked over 100 kilometers with them. They buried other children en route and some buried children on arrival. I saw a grandmother carrying um, a less than six months old baby who was so malnourished and swollen, the, the baby had no life in it almost. And she couldn't trek to the health center to treat the baby. And while we had small sources of water, we had water and shelter and limited food available in the camp, there was a lot more that was missing to save that baby. Okay, so that is a horrific story. Thank you for sharing. It sounds very painful. But presumably UNICEF's message is we don't want to be having to respond to these emergencies. We want to put in place the resilience measures that will keep communities in place. But what is the missing link? Why isn't this happening? I think there are many factors that make the response this time more complicated. We do have the Ukraine crisis, and we shouldn't shy away from saying that it has diverted both visibility of what would have been quite central to, to the global eye today, the situation in the Horn, and we have that it has diverted resources. So I think the Ukraine crisis is just one element of what makes this more difficult. The other is that we are just seeing these droughts recurring at very close intervals. When I first started doing this, they would happen every 10 years, then every seven, every five. But now we're seeing them every two, three years. And so there is no time for families to build up their coping mechanisms. They lose livestock. They lose the land that they're working on. And there is no rain for them to rebuild any of that. And they lose their children. My thanks to UNICEF's Rania Dagash for sharing her personal story about displaced Somalians struggling to survive. The UN agency is, of course, working hard with national partners to tackle acute malnutrition and wasting in children. It's also committed to providing clean water and key primary health care, but also education to a growing number of kids who aren't and who can't go to school. that note it's time to wrap up this week's show it's all we have time for but we'll be back next week to talk about the dangers people with albinism face and some solutions too 
Until then, thank you for listening to the show. Catch you next time. Bye-bye for now. 